0: Welcome to Daily Texan's Politics and Pines, where our favorite mixer is Prondale.
1: It's got what plants crave.
2: It's got electrolytes.
1: (laughs) I'm Editor-in-Chief Alexander Chase.
2: I'm Daily Texan Forum Editor Jordan Chenhar.
1: I'm Senior Columnist Noah M. Horowitz, Who
0: is joining us this week to talk about what an interesting week it has been. Thank you, Noah, for joining us (laughs) in this most interesting... Happy to be here. This has been quite the interesting week for all of us. I... I know that all of us have done some mental gymnastics to try to figure out what the uh, the next four years are going to be like in this country. Uh, we spent a lot of time on this podcast uh, coming up with all sorts of bad arguments about that. Um, but before we get into that, Noah, um, I think we uh, want to use some of your jo- judgment to kind of figure out how we got here first. Um, so if you have to make one broadly reductionist and probably incorrect statement about what caused the outcome of this election to be the way it is. Which one are you going to go with?
1: I don't presume to sound like a sort of wise, sarcastic type but Trump got more votes. Um, in the in the aftermath of elections there's always a plethora of recriminations and you can say Hillary was a bad candidate, Bernie could have done better, the DNC, Debbie Washerman, souls the Illuminati, Vladimir Putin, James Comey, uh, lot, lots of different people. Um, but at the end of the day, one candidate did better than the other. Uh, I, in my personal opinion, it wasn't anti-Clinton. It was pro-Trump. I think Trump had a very unique message. I don't think Ted Cruz could have won this election. I don't think Marco Rubio could have won this election. Trump got people who, I mean, according to some of the sort of pundits and prognosticators who, God knows, were wrong so many times, so I don't know necessarily why I'm believing them, but I'm just used to it. But according to them, they figure that there's a lot of people who voted for Obama twice and now have voted for Trump. Uh, Trump was able to appeal to people who didn't vote, hadn't voted Republican in a long time, and people aren't necessarily giving him enough credit for that. He was a strong candidate, and it was, it was obviously tempered by his many indignities, but he was strong nonetheless.
2: I think that's a, a good analysis, Noah, except I, I do want to push back against one thing, which is that the, Trump got more votes. Um, Trump did, did not get more votes. Touche. Touche. He got more votes in the
1: states that comprised a majority of the Electoral College.
2: Right. Um. A, a good very point, true. A good point that some statisticians have been making on Twitter that our podcast director Sam noted uh, is that if the Florida Panhandle were mm-hmm. part of Alabama and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan were part of Wisconsin, both of which are geographically very plausible, then Hillary Clinton would be the president elect and we'd be having a very different conversation today we
1: would. yeah,
2: we probably wouldn't be an entire six pack of blue moons in
1: well, speak for yourself
2: um.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you in in large part about the uh, strong candidate bit. Though, I'm curious to ask, and I I suppose we'll figure out as uh, we see 2018 and 2020 data and uh, candidates as to whether or not the Clinton campaign made some tactical errors in uh, underestimating how strong his argument would be especially towards
1: uh, the sorts of Rust Belt voters that we all along suspected that he would do well with. So my, the thing that really kind of caused me to have egg on my face on Tuesday night was that I was confident that there weren't all these hidden Trump voters. And the reason for that was that I... (laughs) I guess I could say I had more faith in journalism. I would have expected that if they would have existed, I would have seen something in the New York Times magazine or something along those lines of saying, you know, hi, this is me, Jane Doe, who told the pollster I'm voting for Clinton, but really I'm voting for Trump. I just never saw any actual literature to suggest there were people who existed who were lying the pollsters. turns out those people existed and journalists weren't able to find them.
2: Well, it's possible that uh, rather than people who are lying to pollsters, uh, you just had a huge late break in the undecideds. This is Nate Silver's hypothesis as to what went wrong. Uh, if you look at the exit polls, they showed that people who decided in the last week in a lot of crucial states broke overwhelmingly for Trump in Wisconsin and Michigan.
1: Which is so ironic because it's the complete opposite of what happened in the primary.
2: Exactly. Um,
1: Especially in Wisconsin.
2: hmm <laughs> And in the primary, that's part of why Trump was leading in the polls. People didn't believe the polls, and Trump wound up losing a couple primaries he was expected to win. Here yeah. he wound up winning an election he was expected yeah. to lose. But he he won late deciders by 10, 15, 20-point margins in yeah. a lot of the upper Midwest and even in Florida.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And I think that uh, there's a lot of room for false, false equivalency about Wisconsin primary voters versus Wisconsin sure. general voters. I know that a lot was made on uh, radio shows and, uh, especially in the in the Milwaukee area, about how terrible he was. It seemed that the Milwaukee conservative radio was not all too fond of Trump, at least for a while. Um, and I, I suppose the uh, the question really becomes uh, if you're if you've been voting Republican for a long time and you're listening to conservative radio, you're probably not going to change your vote all that much, but if you're an undecided voter in Wisconsin, um, you, you may, uh, you know, yet change your mind, and the, the sort of... Uh, Milwaukee radio establishment isn't
1: going to swing your vote all too much. Trump got a lot of union support in the Rust Belt. And I I can't state it enough how much that if this were a normal election where we litigated things like abortion and gay marriage and those sort of trite issues,
2: Clinton would have
1: won. It was, you had very different issues. And you had a lot of union people who, you know, were not going to be convinced by Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. To vote for, you know, overturning Roe, or uh, you know, or even overturn uh, repealing Obamacare, but someone who ran on an explicitly protectionist platform that was appealing.
2: And in large part, this was also a culture wars election, which is silly because the reason they're called culture wars is because it's something that's disconnected from politics. The president doesn't have a lot of say in whether people get annoyed that Oscar nominees are too white, or who gets to play on the Super Bowl halftime show. But um, he little faith.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know.
2: In the last week of the campaign, Trump was giving his stump speech talking about uh, Jay Z and Beyonce. And a lot of Democrats were kind of laughing at how he was going off message. But it could be that he was perfectly on message that he was appealing to uh, the fact that a lot of people in the Rust Belt don't understand or don't like, for a lot of them, for uh, for racial reasons, but not always, don't like pop culture in the U.S. right now and are voting on a basis that has nothing to do with politics.
1: I I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical of that. I I tend to think that it had to do more with sort of this idea of protectionism. Uh, Things like that, sort of this idea that if things aren't looking so swell and you hear someone try to just say that there's a panacea, I'm going to make America great again, you think, well, you know, heck, things things could get worse, but they could also get better, and I'm willing to take that gamble.
0: I think that it's probably also foolish to assume that there's some sort of mutual um, exclusivity between culture wars and protectionism. Right? Sure. And, yeah, I think the argument sure. for uh, for shutting out Chinese stealing your jobs is also another kind of culture war. It's uh, if you've got some you know, vague and maybe not even intentional fear of some shadowy other taking your job and yeah. you know, ruining the society you believe that you've worked so hard to craft. Um, the idea of losing on trade to China and Beyonce playing at the halftime show and releasing a music video where she stands on top of a cop car, those are both going to be some sort of things that are going to appeal to you. And um You know, Clinton not necessarily doing anything to spearhead the sort of trade war arguments. She kind of just let him have that issue, if you will, by saying that, oh, I also agree that we should oppose the TPP, but not really arguing with him in any sort of real way, not calling him out for, like, the reasons why the now dead in a shallow grave TPP failed and was necessary. You You know, we never really talked about that issue in any sort of tangible way, which was a... Checking in his box
1: what a remarkable shift that in four years we went from two free trade parties to two protectionist parties at least ostensibly i mean whatever you think clinton may have thought deep down she outwardly said that she opposed it yeah I so think- you had both nominees go from advocating on the stump for free trade to advocating for the opposite
2: and and now trump is uh, kind of walked back some of his protectionist statements. And well, I mean, not the TPP.
1: Obviously. No, not the TPP. I mean, TPP, he might not literally go back from NATO, but it's still uh, Anyway, you slice it, it is a shift toward... It's a, it's the, a trend. Toward, yeah. Well, I, I don't know yeah. if we necessarily can call protectionism the left now anymore, but it's a shift toward protectionism in the GOP. That's yeah. That's
2: kind of the coalition that uh, led to Brexit in the UK. A, yeah. a lot of really strong labor, uh, a lot of labor strongholds and a lot of, uh, kind of populist Tory str- strongholds were the areas that voted most in favor of Brexit. And it was very much a coalition of the far left and the far right. Yeah. Uh,
1: the horseshoe theory of politics.
2: Yeah. Uh, but that got, does kind of lead us into what we, uh, want to talk about for the rest of the show is, which is just what to expect going forward. In mean, um, to, to get things started a bit, uh, We've seen a little bit of, uh, a few sighs of relief among uh, moderates and Democrats today, uh, given Trump's statements that he might not repeal Obamacare and that he might uh, not reverse free trade pacts, but given how little well, we can I, trust... I, I,
1: I have absolutely no faith in <laughs> believing him now.
2: Oh, I, I don't think we could have believed him before. I don't think we could have uh. believed him now, or we can believe him now, but which... like kind of begs the question what does happen is, well, is I don't, there I don't
1: think enough people have put enough emphasis on this but Trump has bragged about how he's you know never read a book from front to back he's he's someone who openly eschews reading i don't think he's going to be reading bills um, he's going to be you know going on his gut And Paul Ryan is going to pass bills out of Congress and put them on his desk, and he is going to almost always sign them. So on January 20th, I think Paul Ryan is going to, as he says to his constituents, repeal every single word of Obamacare. President Trump will sign it, and then there will be some sort of lame posturing over the next 100, 200 days about resurrecting the parts that they like about it. And, uh, you know... By the end of it, you know, you can have a health savings account, which you know that in two dollars can buy you a Coke, and uh, and then you know you can buy health insurance across state lines. This is sort of a nice idea, but it's not a panacea.
2: I think that's certainly plausible, but given how the the one almost the one consistent thing about Trump over the course of that we've learned over the course of this campaign is that he puts the most faith in the people. Who have been closest to him throughout and are loyalists who make him feel affirmed and loved. and People all will compliment the, him. Yeah. People will compliment him. Yeah, and Paul Ryan is not one of those people. He attacked Paul Ryan repeatedly over the course of the campaign, both before uh, Ryan refused to endorse well, during the period where Ryan uh, wasn't endorsing him, and then even after Ryan co- uh, kind of agreed to coalesce around the Trump campaign. Yeah. Do you but think
1: it's w- the the all of us know sitting at this table that that's how you get through the Trump. And so I have no doubt that the Speaker of the House knows that too. And I, I see it's already started. You know, yesterday the president-elect went you know, and climbed the hill in Washington. And I think it's going to continue throughout January. Yeah. So when Trump takes office, he's going to like Ryan because Ryan will have flattered him. And I think that... He's gonna Paul Ryan's gonna be one of the people that is going to be sort of appreciated by Trump
0: I mean the alternate could also be true uh, he could hold a grudge and out of some strange personal connection to Trump uh, to Chuck Schumer um, end up willing to actually read and listen to advisors on the Affordable Care Act and end up pushing it the other way. but I think that what this underscores is we kind of just don't know in any way how he's going to uh, be a wheeler-dealer. Dealer. I know he has spent a lot of time paying ghost writers to help him build up that reputation as one. Um, and he may yet hire aides to do all the ghost reading for him. So I'm not 100% willing to believe that the not reading bends directly in one direction. But I do believe that one way or another, the, um, if you will, like the margin of error for what kind of president he's going to be is going to be way larger Absolutely. than it would be if we were to elect um, someone like John Kasich, who has an extensive amount of time in Congress and uh, as governor mm. of a swing state. And just kind of shown what he looks like in uh, in lots of different situations.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely true. And especially it will be interesting to see what kind of role Chuck Schumer plays as a minority leader of the senate at this point going uh,
1: back to the my, the margin of error you know even if we elected mike pence or ted cruz we basically know where they would stand a little bit to the right of george w bush oh yes and with trump the margin of error is he could be a moderate democrat or he could be mussolini i don't think either of those scenarios are likely but they're possible the margin of error just goes so far in both directions it's
2: we can wake up one morning and find th- that everything that uh, the majority of the public liked about the Obama administration is still intact and that Trump has promised to protect it, and wake up the next morning and find that Obamacare has been repealed and South Korea is a smoldering ruins.
0: Yeah, pretty yeah, much so. Yeah, I I think I would also broadly, and probably for the rest of this podcast, warn that uh, I wouldn't uh, necessarily say that the consistency of approach and policy necessarily going to be the case. But that said, I'm very curious to... Uh, hear what y'all believe in terms of where those error bars fall. Where do you guys see the best case scenario sitting?
2: So, um, I I actually wrote in our forum explainer this week that the um, beginning of the Trump administration uh, or the the aftermath of Trump's election looks kind of like the early days of the Chester Arthur administration. Uh, Chester Arthur was also a rich New York Republican with funny hair, no interest in policy. He only got elected, he, he never got elected, he was Uh, named vice president to satisfy some pro-corruption wings of the Republican Party, and then became president when James Garfield was assassinated. Um, And Arthur wound up surprisingly uh, kind of turning against the faction that got him into power and championing championing a bunch of anti-corruption measures and simplifying the tax code, rebuilding the Navy, taking a lot of steps that were just kind of good for governance and that a lot of people in Washington refused to consider. But then the, the flip side of that is that he was also kind of, he was a populist. Uh, he, because he didn't, he cared about being liked and didn't really understand the implications of what he was doing. He signed the Chinese Exclusion Act. He refused to take any strong stance on uh, promoting civil rights in the South after Reconstruction. And so in a lot of ways, we're still kind of dealing with that failure. And, and what we can learn from this is that for, for all of the people who are saying we need to come together and we need to unify uh, and... Uh, just put this campaign behind us. It's easy to say that, um, but if you're going to say that, then you're going to be leaving a lot of people behind. And um, what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and a lot of the liberal, and Nancy Pelosi, a lot of the liberal wing of the Democratic Party has said, it kind of of makes a lot of sense, which is we'll be willing to work with this administration. We'll we'll be pleasantly surprised if uh, he can help us pass a lot of reforms in favor of economic justice, but we draw the line at bigotry, and we're going to... Fight as hard as we can to make sure that he can't Put a lot of his more populist Racialized appeals into into action
1: I think the best case Scenario is Single payer health insurance Trump care um, Liberals on the Supreme Court And Russia becomes a member of NATO uh, In a sort of You know, equivalent of Nixon goes to China But Trump goes to Moscow And uh, sort of Instead of going to China as a way of countering Moscow, going to Russia as a way of countering Beijing, I don't think that's likely. Worst case scenario is deportation squads that tear families apart and send them across the border with no uh, respect to what happens and forcing Islamic people to register with the government wear yellow stars on their clothes and worse. I don't think that's going to happen either. But the thing about Trump is that he has no record... And the history that he does have is constantly changing his mind. So we just have no reason to know if it could be either of those extremes. Almost certainly somewhere in the middle of it. But we just we don't know what to expect. And so best-case scenario and worst-case scenario are almost polar opposites of one another.
2: And I think that means that we just need to remain vigilant and make sure that a lot of the energy uh, of the campaign and the... Uh, Visceral reactions that a lot of people had after the campaign don't dissipate, and that people make sure to stay engaged in the political process, work on the grassroots level, uh, and um, just make sure that uh, whatever vision of America they want to see is something that they can carry carry forward.
0: Oh, oh, definitely. I I think that here in Texas. Um you know so much of the nation's uh, successes and failures are going to be determined by big states like us. Uh, you know California's legislature is going to determine a lot of what the sorts of regulations we place on the economy are going to be because their market is so big and companies have no choice but to try to set the bar high to get what they want or or to get their pro- products sold everywhere. Um, Texas is going to be a large state the sorts of policies that the AB administration is going to put forward are going to affect us in large part, and will probably also determine the fate of a lot of states around us as well. Um, And the same goes for a lot of our cities, you know, Houston and the Austin area at large, Travis County, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, we're all large, large cities that are going to have a lot of power within this state to kind of determine the economic future. And, a lot of the local elections here are going to have a lot of impact on our lives. I, I know that I come from a background working um, for one of the county commissioners here in Austin. Um, and I know that because the uh, the county commissioner's court is going to determine a lot of things like you know, how our policing is done and how our transportation is going to go, I think those are the sorts of issues that if people really care about. And clearly they do because both presidents had... Um, transportation and infrastructure are high on their list they agreed about and both presidents made their different approaches to policing important if you care about those issues you can go get involved with them um that said uh you know there's also the chance that other parts of taxes affect this administration i know there's talk
1: that rick perry will end up somewhere in the cabinet, and. Uh, Hopefully he'll represent the cabinet post he couldn't remember the name of
2: Yeah, Rick Perry as Secretary of Energy Could actually be one of the better case scenarios of the Trump presidency Given his His president. Yeah, he he had a really good record in Texas of kind of stepping back And uh, instead of subsidizing uh, dying industries like coal He um, let Texas enjoy the fruits of the natural gas boom He um, cleared the way for renewable energy to be as cheap as it is now in Texas. And that kind of laissez-faire approach to energy would be really helpful. Then again, you also have people in the coal industry who are hoping to put huge surcharges on natural gas and renewables to make everybody's power prices way more expensive just to bring coal back into, just to make coal financially competitive again. Uh, And that would be bad.
0: Yeah, I, I think that in some ways, the uh, one of the better case scenarios for the United States is for uh, Trump to turn on a lot like Perry did in the United States, um, maybe a little bit buddy-ish and corrupt at times, um, doing what's in the interest of the people that he personally likes, but broadly letting business control the, um, the fate of the state and taking a broadly laissez-faire approach. Um, Perry delivered a speech in Indianapolis a few months ago about how small governance has a lot to offer to communities that have been marginalized because there's lots of different ways that you can allow the local level to affect how you, you know, affect economic change rather than just handing out, um, broad-based like poverty reduction measures, you know, tailor them to your specific communities. And if the Trump, If the Trump presidency means a very hands-off and not really willing to get into all the details approach that helps business get off the ground and then doesn't really screw with a lot of other things, it could be a lot less bad and there could be a lot less that necessarily has to be undone by both future Democrats and
1: Republicans. That's the Texas approach. Local control unless you want to ban fracking or uh, plastic bags. Or uh, discrimination against LGBT people.
0: Yeah, I believe those are concerns. Um, and realistic concerns. I think that that's what you expect out of like a broadly Republican sort of administration. Yeah,
2: And, and Trump's a little different from that because whereas Rick Perry was saying that he uh, had a lot to agree with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement on, especially with regards to keeping a small police force and ensuring that local communities had the ability to enforce themselves, Trump wanted to put the central Park 5 to death even after DNA evidence exonerated them.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I know there's 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 big gaps obviously. But I mean, I think that one of the most important things we can ask for now is to see where um f- people who have opinions can put sorts of positive political pressure on things to happen and hope that a populist president with a vice president who would bend to political bend to political will and a you know, a group of friends like Giuliani and Christie, who have tracked all over the political map and often worked in bipartisan ways, can pick up on some of the more productive things.
2: Yeah, that would be the hope. And then the, the worst case scenario is we wake up and the human race is extinct in a couple of years.
1: I'll, I'll give Trump, for the moment being, the benefit of the doubt. The same way that I did to Greg Abbott after he was elected governor, um, but I mean, who who knows what's going to happen? I've, I've 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 been at the Texan for a few years, long. way too long, and I've written a lot of stupid things, as uh, Alexander and the three editors before him can attest to. But the single most stupid thing i've ever written in the texan was in the aftermath of, Trump, of of abbott's election as governor when i said basically because he chose carlos casco as the secretary of state that he may be amenable to medicaid expansion and may be more moderate than his predecessor needless to say once again of all the things i've written at the texan that is the most stupid and uh but i uh I was willing to give an open mind to him, and uh, almost immediately, Governor Abbott deter- uh, told me that, and told all of Texas indeed that he was not any different than Candidate Abbott. Unfortunately, President Trump will probably do the same thing and say that he'll be the same as Candidate Trump. But I'll I'll give him an open mind until he does so.
0: Yeah. And uh, in this next few weeks, we'll see. Uh, Cabinet posts roll out. We'll um, get broader economic plans rolled out. And I think that we'll start to get a clearer picture. We'll bring those error bars in. Um, but I think the important thing that we should impart on our listeners is that involvement in democracy is something that doesn't end on Election Day. Um, and that this this presidency, um, without direct mandate and with populist roots, does have room to be pushed in one way or another. And that if you care about things especially bipartisan issues like criminal justice reform or transportation issues, you know, infrastructure. I think there's room for us to mobilize and push.
2: Definitely. And, uh, speaking of activists and mobilizing, uh, we would be remiss to end our podcast without talking about Jill Stein, whose votes swung the results in Michigan, Florida, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So if you voted for Jill Stein, I hope you're happy. And with that, Uh, The crystals will protect them from... Oh, definitely. The crystals and the whiteness. Um, Yes. (laughs) all said. Yes. Yeah. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap things up here. We'll see you next week. We'll be talking about something else, hopefully a little less serious this time. This podcast was produced by The
0: Daily Texan and hosted by Alexander Chase and Jordan Shenhar with special guest Noah M. Horowitz. And the music was by Randy Wongschler. Be sure to check back next week for our next episode. And for more news, go to dailytexanonline.com.